The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Nationalforest.org, the National Forest Foundation. See your summer. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth. But no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Hey, good afternoon, all you anti-science Christians out there. Thanks for being here today. It's Steve Noble on the Steve Noble Show, uh, Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary down in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. Dr. Ken Casillas is back in the house, who's got a Ph.D. in Old Testament interpretation, uh, did his M.A. at Bob Jones and a B.A. as well. And and he does all kinds of of courses, Old Testament, uh, dissertation things, application of Scripture, and, and what we're talking about today uh, which is uh, being in the beginning of the book of Genesis and looking at the creation account. Uh, so for all you science deniers out there, <clears throat> just so you can get your mind around this, uh, in case you didn't know, you might want to write this down or put it on your phone somewhere. The earth is approximately 4.54 billion years old. Uh, now there is a caveat there. It's plus or minus 50 million years. Okay, so it can't be 100% accurate, but 4.54 billion years old. And we know that by studying rocks and radiometric dating. Okay, and, and you can't question any of that. So put your hand down. Uh, then we can go to the universe, which at least here, uh, you science denying Christians agree that there was a beginning and the science community would say the Big Bang. And there's various things they do, the expansion of the universe, the age of some of the oldest stars that they can deal with. So what they come up with is that the universe is 13.8 billion years old, uh, plus or minus uh, some millions here and there. And and that's just the reality. So then you crack your Bible open and you're in Genesis chapter one and you see this um, presentation of the creation of the earth anyway as being a six day event rather than a 4.54 billion year event. And obviously there's quite a difference. So we'll dive into this. We're not going to do the scientific exploration method today because we aren't primarily scientific people, although we do not walk away from that table, nor should we. But we'll come at it the way we should come at it is as Bible-believing, Bible-following Christians. So theology comes into play. Thus, Ken Casillas, thus Theology Thursday. Ken, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. All right. So how about that for an introduction? I, I appreciated wow. your smiling. <laughs> you know, I heard I heard uh, or saw somebody said uh, something like, when I was a kid, they taught us the earth was, you know, 4.5 billion years old. At this point, they're saying it's 13.8 billion. He says, that explains why I'm always so tired. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to definitely remember that one. Uh, that's I'll why tra- I feel so old. <laughs> that's why I feel so old, right? Because we live on an old planet in an old universe. But uh, help us just kind of set this table up because then and for the rest of the show, Ken, we're going to unpack uh, these different ways of coming at it. There are some different schools of thought out there, things like the gap theory and the day-age view framework hypothesis. And I know for some of you, that's sounding like we're slipping into speaking in tongues or something, but uh, Ken will walk us down this road so you understand, because there there are different perspectives here. Uh, but d- just approaching this from a theological perspective, Ken, versus a scientific perspective for us as Bible-believing Christians, just kind of set that up first, and then we'll unpack the rest as we get into the show. Well, in general, we need to understand that the doctrine of creation is not some small secondary 
minor thing in scripture. I mean, it is something that is right in the very first passage we open up to, and uh, there's this assertion that God created everything. And so obviously it's got to have some uh, foundational significance. Um, and you can go through, I've got a list of about 20 different key passages on creation, yeah. looking at the different uh, angles of importance theologically. You can think about uh, Hebrews 11, which ties it to the concept of faith, right? It says that by by faith, we understand that the world was made by the Lord out of things that are not seen. And it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So this is a pretty foundational uh, issue of, of our faith. And it has so many ramifications. I mean, it has ramifications for our understanding of the sovereignty of God, uh, our understanding of ourselves as people made in the image of God, uh, our understanding of male and female is right there in the creation account. Uh, our understanding of uh, being in the image of God, why we're in the world and the, the dominion mandate we have and the idea of creativity that flows from the, the character of God. And then you can just go right down the list to uh, the different doctrines like sin, salvation, and so forth. In some way, the Bible is rooting everything in this foundational topic of, of God's creative work. Yeah, and then the, the challenge there is like uh, the guy was just jotting down <clears throat> Where today in, in Christendom, inside evangelicalism, we have old earth creationists and young earth creationists. So neither one of them are denying God as creator. But then with like uh, like with an old earth creationist, they're they're taking uh, the scientific position, which is I started the show with. And then they're taking the theological position in Genesis one. And they're kind of trying to fit all that stuff together to make a nice, cohesive uh, set of Lego. And but the, the young earth creationists are going to be like, uh, no. You're you're mixing apples and oranges here, oil and water. Uh, but for us to understand uh, just how important it is, and, and I mentioned this before we even started the show, is our understanding or our position on the age of earth, of the earth is that is that necessary in terms of salvation? Like I have to get this right, and if I'm struggling with this particular one, if I if I my foot's not on either side of the camp, uh, does that mean I'm not a Christian? Because you know, and I mentioned Ken Ham earlier, who takes a very strident, strong position on this. You don't believe the literal six days of creation. You don't believe the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, there's a good chance you're not a Christian. How strong do we, do we need to, how seriously do we need to take it? I guess is my question. Yeah, I wouldn't put it in quite those terms. I mean, as far as salvation, uh, if we can just boil things down to the crux of the matter, we're told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah. Or like Paul talking about the gospel, Christ died for our sins, was raised on the third day, According to the scriptures, this is the, the core of the gospel message. Uh, or he tells us, uh, if you will, uh, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised from the dead. You will be saved. Right. And so the details of exactly how the Lord went about it are not uh, a part of that content. So we want to be, be clear as to what is the means of salvation yeah, and, yeah. and the, the, the basic content of our faith. But at the same time, as we come to the Lord... And we're trying to develop uh, in our discipleship uh, a solid understanding of his word and and for our theology to cohere as a package, right? Yeah. To have a solid understanding of the whole counsel of God, which really is part of our desire and goal in the Christian mm -hmm. life. Uh, then it does become uh, important yeah. to ask 
what does the Bible actually say about this topic? Yeah, what does it say? And then, you know, as you mentioned earlier, talking to Ken Casillas from BJU Seminary, uh, the element of faith and all of that, which isn't ignorance. Faith is different. we got a lot to talk about. We'll be right back on Theology Thursday. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show, Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary with Dr. Ken Casillas today talking about uh, the creation account. Is it six literal days, literal, six literal days, or uh, do we pick up a book by a famous cosmologist or uh, somebody that uh, Richard Dawkins, one of those folks, and they say, well, you idiot, it's 4.54 billion years old. That's how old the earth is. Six days is ridiculous. And where do you go from from there as a Christian? Uh, and so that's what we're talking to Ken about. He does a class down at PJU Seminary where they really dive into this. And he, of course, talking about Old, old Testament interpretation, but specifically in Genesis and the creation account. And there are a couple of different schools of thought out there. We're going to go through these, kind of a list of five. The gap theory, the day-age view, a framework hypothesis, the analogical days view. The last one I've never even heard of, Ken, so I'm fascinated by this. The cosmic temple inauguration view. <clears throat> and and for the in the history of the church, it's kind of a sidebar question. Has, there, has it been kind of a moving target in the history of the church, or is that more of a recent phenomenon with the development of science and 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 starting to go, well, I don't know, how do we deal with this six-day thing? I think in the history of the church, you would find a few kind of um, offshoot approaches, but the dominant view has been the the literal six-day approach. And it's only been since the development of Darwinian evolution that you have the proliferation of all these different interpretations, and especially those interpretations becoming pretty dominant, actually, in a lot of evangelicalism. Yeah. And, and so what do you think's led to that? What, what, in terms of the, and I'm using this word purposefully, the evolution of this conversation, whereas before, when we don't have the kind of scientific advancements that we all take for granted today, it's kind of normal. But before that, uh, that that's an errant position to think that it's not six literal days. Then the scientific community comes in and starts dealing with the Big Bang and, and trying to measure how old the universe is by its expansion rate, yada, yada, yada. This is a very modern phenomenon. Was it just the church, Ken, we're not, we're trying to make two things fit together that we don't necessarily need to have fit together? What do you think pushed that? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I, I can't judge people's hearts, sure. but it's it seems that there is a general drift where the secular community comes up with a theory and it becomes a dominant view among the scientists and the church doesn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a new thing and we're intimidated and we find ourselves struggling to uh, know what to do with it. And uh, one response would be to just try to integrate it with the mm-hmm. scripture, even if it requires reinterpreting the scripture. Right. And I think that that essentially is, is what's happened. But the, the battle as such over this goes back about 120 years uh, to the Scopes trial yep. and all that went on in, in the fundamentalist controversy where evolution uh, was such a uh, such a social uh, force oh, man. that puts so much pressure on mm-hmm. conservative Christians. Yeah. yeah, and that's why when I talk about this subject with my students and when it comes to Darwin's theory of evolution— uh, which actually, if you if you read the rest of the title, he talks about favored races. It gets pretty nasty pretty fast. But you got to remember from a spiritual perspective, everybody, that uh, the theory of evolution, 1859, uh, gave 
everybody, because nobody seeks God, God starts that process. It gives you what appeared to be then, and for a lot of people now, a silver bullet that all of a sudden we can explain creation and all this other stuff without God. And if we can get rid of God, guess what? There are no rules. You make them up on your own, which is our autonomy, which is the problem that started in the garden. So you got to remember that the, the, the spiritual basis for all of this is people want to reject God. They're going to use whatever they can, which is why Darwin was so popular and still is. Uh, so let's just dive into these. Uh, the first one uh, here, Ken, is the gap theory. So help us to understand that. Okay, so a lot of the discussion is around the interpretation of the days of creation. That's really where the focus tends to be. The gap theory is something that sort of gets around that and pushes the discussion further back in Genesis to the first two verses. And so let me just let me just pull up the text here and I'll read from Genesis 1 course it starts out by saying in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the next verse verse two the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters and then after that is when it says god said let there be light which is the you know the big thing that happened on the on the first day of creation uh, the distinctive thing well what what the gap theory does is to is to put a break uh between the, the first couple of verses and the rest of it. And specifically, verse two is understood to mean the earth became without form and void. So God created it way back when. We don't really know. We'll let the geologists tell us whatever that is. Yeah. The earth became without form and void. The understanding is that that was a result of the rebellion of Satan against the Lord. God cast him out of heaven. He comes down to earth and he just trashes the place and undoes this beauty that the Lord had created. And that situation went on for who knows how long. And again, the geological record, is, as it's right. understood commonly, will explain that part. And then at some later point, the Lord steps in to fix it all. So it's also known as the ruin reconstruction approach, mm. because on the six days of creation, which are understood as six 24-hour days, God is rebuilding. And so... That is, uh, that's where you can get all of this extra time yeah. is, is actually before the six days. And, and that was a, a very common approach at the beginning of the 20th century when you had evolution developing so much power. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, a way by which conservative Christians could integrate all of that and yet maintain really a literal interpretation of the days of creation. Right. We just slip it in between verses two and three. Right. Yeah. Which seems now, rather convenient to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, you would not find a lot of people today right. that hold that. Right. But there are actually different uh, approaches like that that are proposed today where you're getting all of this time before the six days of creation. And then we'll have time just to kick off the next one and then we'll continue it on the other side of the break. But the day age view, which I think you just alluded to. Right. So the day age view comes from the fact that the word day in Hebrew, which is the word yom, does not always in the Bible mean a 24 hour period. And so they want to understand day in uh, chapter one, verses three and following as referring to a sequence of, of long ages of time. And again, how long is not something that the Bible gets into. Right. We learned that from the study of geology. But there's this very fluid understanding of the word day. 
And, and so that's how they're taking it in this chapter. And, and generally, because people will say, well, in the original language, the word day uh, was literal, right? A literal 24-hour day. Right. Is there and any credible would, argument against that? Right. right. Is there any credible argument against that? Well, okay, here's the thing. If you go down to chapter 2, yep, and uh, at the beginning of, of that chapter, it says in chapter 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Um, and then chapter 2, verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Ah, okay. yep. So the word day is used right, right there in this broader way. In the broader, it means a, right. It just means this whole period. Yeah, so hold that thought. Saying, yeah, hold that okay. thought because we're up against the break. We're talking to Dr. Ken Casillas about the age of the earth, six literal days. This is Steve Noble on Theology Thursday. We'll be right back. Woke up this morning I heard the news Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary down in Greenville, South Carolina, right on the same campus as Bob Jones University. So we love uh, each of these Thursdays because we get to dip into the incredible resources that God has placed down there in the seminary and in the college. And uh, and, and that's one of the reasons I've loved doing Theology Thursday over the years is because uh, I, I'm I'm doing the same thing that most of you are doing. I'm I'm here on Thursdays. Yes, I'm I'm hosting the show. Yes, I'm having a conversation. Yes, I can add a little bit here and there, but mostly I'm learning, and I, I just love that. I love that aspect of the show uh, because we're in the deep end of the pool, and that's why we appreciate people like Dr. Ken Casillas coming on today as we look at Genesis one. And I know whether we state it or not, I think a lot of us probably rummage around on this one. And uh, it's a little intimidating when the secular world and the scientific world is so uh, solid in their beliefs, 4.54 billion years, give or take 50 million years for the age of the earth, 13.8 billion years for the universe. And I mean, you step up and go, no, actually, God created the earth in six days. And you're afraid of the backlash and the way people are going to look at you. I understand that. Uh, But you have to pick a team, right? That's the deal. And when you are on God's team, you have to follow God's word. And that's why we're working through this with Ken today. So again, Ken, thanks for for leading this conversation. We were talking about the day age view of what does it actually mean in the original language, which is a literal 24 uh, hour day. And then you mentioned in Genesis two, where it takes the use of the word day as uh, kind of an overview uh, of that, of the whole period, which I think for people can get confusing. And then you mentioned, I think it's in Isaiah where uh, a day is like a thousand years to God and a thousand years to God is like a day to you, you guys know that one. And so it looks like we're playing around with time. But just help everybody out a little bit, Ken, just with biblical interpretation on this one, because that's where you go, well, it looks like it's the same word, but it's used in two different ways. So help us understand that, then we'll move on. Well, I would say we would do that even in English. Like if I were telling you a story and I'd say, back in the day, you know, I'm not referring <laughs> to a specific 24-hour right. period. What was the date there, the Ken? Of- right, you're just back in the day. Yeah, so it's just uh, it can be used flexibly that way, and there are cases in the Bible when when it is is used that way. The question is, when you look at all of the usages of the word yom in the Old Testament, there are a couple of uh, important facts to be aware of that consistently, when it is accompanied by a number, and when it, when it is in the singular and not a part of a compound construction, 
it's consistently referring to a regular day yeah. of the week. Yeah. And that's what you have here. It keeps talking about first day, second day, third day. And and it's singular and it's with a number. It's it's a simple, not a compound construction. And so that usage tips us off to yeah. how to understand it in chapter one and down to chapter two, verse three. Yeah. And so that's a factor. And then there's also the repetition of evening and morning that needs to be uh, uh, yeah. considered that yep. backs up what we would normally understand from a day. Yeah, as a day. Uh, and, and the last time I checked uh, with one day, there's one evening and one morning. <laughs> That's time I right. check. And so that's why uh, hermeneutics, which I know is kind of a big mouthful word, but how do you how do you study the Bible? That's really important. And that's why uh, don't be afraid to go down these roads. I mentioned, Ken, to you during the break that I encourage my students. You run into things every once in a while. You're like, mm, I don't know that I want to pull on that string. No, you, you should go ahead and pull on that string and work out your salvation and, and work out your biblical worldview and get in there. Uh, I've, I've pulled on a lot of strings over the years, and here I am. I, I, I have a stronger biblical worldview today than I did 30 years ago. And that's as a result in many ways of pulling on that string and the Holy Spirit and the sanctification process walking me down those roads. And so my, for me as a, as a Christian that's got an intellectual aspect to my faith, uh, that's only strengthened it. So don't be afraid of that stuff. So, But it does help to understand like what Ken was just explaining. You're going to have to do a little work so you can understand how the Bible is written and how you properly interpret it. The next one is the framework hypothesis. This sounds like a seminary word. Yeah. So <laughs> let me just make this comment. That sure. When we talk about the, the views of the science, right, there's the young earth, there's old earth creationism, and then there's theistic evolution. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the, the old earth creation around the, the middle of the 20th century was largely associated with the day age view the one that we just talked about. Right. And I just want to clarify that, that those people don't tend to believe in evolution. Right. The concept is the earth is, you know, millions of years old or whatever. And, and yet God uh, at different points was himself stepping into create. It was right. not through some naturalistic process. Yeah. Non-directed exactly. chaos process. Yeah. Now, the further we go down this list, the more we are, beginning to overlap with theistic evolution, yeah. or at least somebody who is a theistic evolutionist would be able to approach Genesis with these views. Right. Okay. And so uh, the next one in line is the, uh, the framework hypothesis. And it picks up on, on really an interesting factor in, in the, the, the days of creation. When you compare days one to three and days four to six, there really does seem to be some level of match up between one and four, two and five and three and six. Okay. And it's in, in the area of over here, one to three, God is creating various realms. So he creates the realm of light. And then on day four, he creates the, the light sources or the, or the luminaries, the heavenly bodies that get, that give us light. Day two, he, he creates the firmament or divides the, the waters between what's up in the sky and what's down in the seas. And then day five over here, corresponding to that, he fills up that realm. Mm. And so he creates sea creatures and he creates birds and other winged creatures. Day three is where he separates the dry land and there's vegetation that starts to grow. And then day six is the animals on the dry land. And of course, man right. as, as the climax right. of that. Got it. And it's this, it's this uh, beautiful patterning that we see. Uh, I think that 
as far as what I just said, that is fairly uh, fairly good explanation of what's happening there. Um, but but here's what they what they go on to say. That patterning is so like neat that clearly uh, we ought to understand this as just like a literary device to, to, to be describing that God created these things, but we don't want to understand it in a sequential way or take it literally that there was one day in which God did this and the next day he did this other. This is just a way of organizing right. these themes yep. of how great God is and how he's establishing his kingdom on earth. And and this passage really doesn't tell us anything specifically about how he went about it. This is just a literary device to kind of yeah. organize this and make it all beautiful. Yeah. Is that is, is are there many adherents to that? Yeah, I would say that's pretty common, especially in the Reformed world. Hmm. That that would be the way that yeah. that that passage is understood. Interesting. All right, the next one, the analogical days view. Okay, this one is I wouldn't say is extremely common. This was is uh, associated, especially by. Uh, or with a scholar by the name of Jack Collins at Covenant Seminary. And um, his idea is, is kind of like the framework in the, that he views the passage as kind of poetical or as a, as a literary, uh, like exalted prose type mm-hmm. thing. And he does uh, appreciate a little bit more of the, of the sequence idea in his passage. But um, he still says that we're talking here about divine creative days that uh, this is the Lord's work and he's just using our concept of a day to communicate what he went about doing. It's just an analogy, yeah. just a comparison. Since that's how we live and how we operate, the Lord is kind of borrowing our terminology, mm-hmm. our categories, and he is depicting his work in that way, but it's just by way of comparison. It's not intended to be understood literally. Yeah, breaking it down so that us plebeians can consume it. <laughs> like yeah, mama bird, chew it up an first. An act of then... accommodation is right. what it would be called. Got it, yeah. What, yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. All right, the last one, which is, uh, uh, I've never heard of this one. At least I don't think I have. The Cosmic okay. Temple Inauguration View, which sounds like a party I might like to attend. Right, okay. So this is especially connected with John Walton of, of Wheaton College. And... Um, uh, what this is doing uh, is pulling on the ancient Near Eastern myths about creation, okay? So all of these ancient cultures had some explanation mm-hmm. for how the world was set up and how it came to be. They believed in all these different gods, typically that the world was uh, came into being because of a conflict between the gods. In fact, in one of them, the earth was created from the corpse of one of the gods, and uh, so you have all these different ideas. So he, he studies these carefully. And his, his concept is when the ancient Near Eastern people talked about the creation, they're not thinking of it in terms of material origins. For them, creation isn't about something coming into existence because these things are so, so way out there, so wacky. Like who would actually believe that that's yeah. literally what happened? This is just their way of talking about that the gods assigning a function to different aspects of creation and how they were supposed to operate. And so then he brings that concept into the Genesis account and says, we need to back off of the idea that this is talking about material origins. This is talking about the purposes God had for making what he made, however it was that he actually yeah. did it. And, and, and his purpose in general was that he was was he was bringing into into existence 
or giving a purpose to the world of serving as his temple. Got it. All right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Hold that thought right there. Talking to Dr. Ken Casillas on Theology Thursday. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show, Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary, talking to Dr. Ken Casillas today as we work through uh, kind of what you're talking about, the uh, biblical perspective, literal interpretation of the creation days, six creation days, and we've been working our way through uh, an abbreviated list of some of the other things out there. And like you mentioned, Ken, these are not uh, theories that are written by people that don't know anything. There's a lot of strong academic people in here, Christian people. That uh, as they explore and go down this road, they've come up with these other things, the gap theory, the day age theory, framework hypothesis, the analogical days view, the cosmic temple inauguration view, which was the last one we were just talking about, which is really kind of this beautiful, grandiose narrative sounding approach to it. Uh, And so I, I appreciate all these different things and understand the process that we humans go through as we try to understand the things of God, as, as we talked about on the break. Uh, but the reality is, is we see through the glass dimly. And so I am handicapped to a certain extent on how we deal with this. But how, how do we kind of, you know, you can go back and you were critiquing along the way. But just as we look at all these different theories versus just a little interpretation, just some tools and some encouragement as we go ahead. And then the, I mentioned before we got back on the air, there's one other thing I'll throw on the table here in a few minutes uh, that that is is will probably sound overly simplistic, but I just want to get your reaction to it. But it's something I've said in the past, so I'm feel free to excoriate me in public if, if that's required. I'd be happy to <laughs> receive that from you. But just kind of wrapping up, looking at all these things and, and how we move forward and how we discuss it. And we shouldn't be afraid to discuss it, by the way. Uh, but just some encouragement and steps as we move forward. Well, I know that not everybody's equipped to study the Bible and the original languages, but there are all kinds of tools and people out there that can help you with that. And on that point, I would say that we have to focus on word meanings mm-hmm. and on grammar. The word meaning part, we've, we've talked about a little bit with uh, the standard usage of the word yom, that that standard usage in the way it's coming up here with a number in the singular would naturally, most naturally lead us to believe this is a normal day. Uh, and backing that up is the idea of evening and morning. The grammar piece is especially in looking at the standard grammatical form that is really the backbone of any Hebrew story. And that's what's called the wow consecutive imperfect construction, which is just the normal way of talking about something that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And particularly at the beginning of a sentence, uh, in the middle of the sentence as well, but it's just the way of listing events one after the other. That's the way that a narrative, a historical narrative genre is set up. And that's what you have here. In other words, the grammar, even though there is a poetic flair to it, we might say, because there is some parallelism and repetition, the actual grammar is just the normal way that Hebrew people would tell a story of something that actually happened in history. And so we want to understand it in, in that in that way. Uh, and then I think another another hermeneutical piece is any any later revelation that might give you confirmation of how to understand mm-hmm. it. And one of the key passages is in Exodus 20, verse 11, where the Lord in the Ten Commandments is laying out the Sabbath for the nation of Israel. And he lays out for them, here's how your work week needs to function, six days plus one day of rest. 
And he says, why do you do this? Because in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Again, I think the natural way to understand that is he's saying your work week needs to follow the pattern of God. Yeah. Not the other way around, which is what the, which is what the analogical view does. It actually says God's work week. I'm sorry, our work week, God is using it as an analogy for right. his work. Right. But this is actually saying the opposite. He's saying, I'm setting up your work week, which is literal 24-hour days, mm -hmm. to match the work that I did in creation. And so uh, the, the cross-reference as Scripture interprets Scripture leads us to the same uh, conclusion. Uh, so those would be some of the main uh, issues. We could get into you know, the scientific arguments and that sort of thing, but in terms of interpreting this chapter, uh, I think that needs to be our focus. Yeah, and that, that's why and you mentioned the word again. I brought it up earlier, hermeneutics. you got to understand how to study the Bible, uh, which takes some training. It's, it's out there. There's courses you can take. There's free courses you can take online. Always make sure you're careful about where you take a course. But that's where you have to understand there's different genres of literature. Uh, there's, a, there's several different kinds of writing in the Bible, historical narratives. We talk about wisdom literature. We talk about apocalyptic literature. And so if I hand you a book, uh, a novelization, and of course you know where I'm going, uh, of Star Wars, and then you ask me, boy, this Darth Vader dude sounds really nasty. Is he an American? I'm like, dude, you're not reading historical. <laughs> you're reading science fiction. Right. So you got to know what you're reading. Uh, otherwise, you're going to you're going to have a problem with proper interpretation. So that's why I appreciate uh, bringing that in word meanings, grammar, later revelations like in Exodus 2011 is, is a great reminder for all of us that you really do have to be uh, careful with how you study the Bible. It's not just that. Well, that's what it means to me. No, that's not the question you want to ask. The question you ask is, what does it mean? And that's why you need proper uh, training to do this well. Not that you can't do some of it. Without going to seminary, you can. But you have to be careful, nevertheless. Uh, the one thing I wanted to throw on the table, because uh, you mentioned uh, miracles earlier. We were talking about miracles, Ken. And that uh, the very nature of a miracle is there's some, there's there's it's a suspension of natural law. And it is a uh, something that for us as human beings is uh, hard to explain. Just like when people try to explain, sometimes they'll struggle with explaining the resurrection because that's a miraculous event. Uh, and so when, when people look at six days, literal days of creation, they're like, yeah, but the scientists are saying the earth is 4.54 billion years old. And uh, they do radiometric dating and this, that, and the other thing, and rock formations and everything. And I say, okay, back up for a second. And if God, in fact, created everything in six days, uh, on a scale from one to 10, how big of a miracle is that? Well, yeah, that would be a 10. Okay, so now you bring our little pea brains into it. And how easy is it for us to then figure out something that's completely miraculous using our I see through the glass dimly and I'm broken by my sin and I don't want it to be true. You don't think any of that's going to cause a problem. And so don't you think that the, 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 the mystery of creation could be something that mankind in his own sin and his own brokenness just screws it up every time he studies it? So we say, oh, well, it's 4.5 billion years. Well, it's a mysterious thing. So mankind might perceive it as being 4.5 billion years old, but just because you perceive it that way, Ken, doesn't mean it is. Now, don't you have to make a choice? I'm either going to believe man or I'm going to believe God. Right. And so what you make of the evidence you see is driven ultimately by your presuppositions. Yes. And, and evolution came out of a secular or materialistic perspective that wanted to leave God out of the equation 
And so we're looking for natural processes to explain how this all came about and interpreting everything consistently with that, with that worldview. Uh, the scriptures obviously are presenting us a different picture that God was radically involved, directly involved, and he is doing things that are not normal in our experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think that often what happens is, is, is along the lines of Romans chapter one, <laughs> where we know just by looking around us that this is so huge and so complex. This had to have come from somebody who's totally different from us, way bigger, uh, sovereign, mm -hmm. almighty. Uh, but we find ways to suppress the truth right. and unrighteousness. Yep. And I would say ultimately that is what's happening in in at least materialistic evolution. Now I'm not I'm not saying that the theistic evolutionists are rejecting God. They're trying to bring God into the picture. Right. 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 But it's really it's really borrowing all of this interpretation that has its origin in materialism. And, and, and also ends up, I would argue, in conflict with the scriptures. So these other views, these, these people may well know the Lord, they may be very godly people, mm -hmm. but it just becomes hard to have a coherent understanding of scripture and even the gospel right. uh, when you start picking out pieces that are at the foundation. And one of the big ones that is in focus today is the actual historical existence of Adam as a person. Right. Uh, created by God on that sixth day. There was, uh, I did a show back on September 18th, Ken, uh, based on a, a, a article that a couple of my friends in our small group showed me that was in the New York Times. It was a, it was a guest essay in the opinion section. And, and it, it, a great, what a great, what a great title. This is a, this is a headline for headlines. The story of our universe may be starting to unravel. And the whole point of this, I'll send you a link to it so you can check it out for yourself. The whole point of it is they're going, yeah, now, now with, the, with the existence of not just the Hubble, but the James Webb Space Telescope, we're finding some uh, galaxies and things that, uh, based on our calculations as to how old the whole universe is, actually shouldn't exist. They, they, they are way too far advanced. They don't fit what we were thinking before, that it should take this long to create a, a, a galaxy this complex. But because of the James Webb Telescope, we're running into a problem here, and we may have to go back and question the basis of, of the whole thing. Wow. And so I'm like, I try not to chuckle when I run into things like that. And I'm like, I'm sure the Lord is looking down and just going, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Keep, keep going, kids. You're, yeah. you're, you're gonna, but you got to deal with, you mentioned it earlier, we all have a sin nature, and you have a, a, a preconceived notion about what is real. You have a worldview, you have presuppositions. Uh, and, and so everything's bent. You have to remember that. Yep. But I'll yeah, send you, you know, the article. We talk about science and it just sounds so authoritative. And, oh, absolutely. And static. But I mean, it's continually changing. Right. If you look at the history of science, you, you realize that these theories are continually ever evolving themselves. That's right. Yeah. I mean, uh, just go Google the word COVID. Let me know how that goes for you. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Ken Casillas, BJU Seminary, great having you on, my friend. Thank you so much for leading us down this road. It's such great information, such great education. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. You're very welcome. Hold on a second. I'll pray with you uh, when we're done here on the radio. Just a great conversation. You might want to share this one, a podcast, Facebook, Rumble, because a lot of people do struggle with it, even if they don't say it. Uh, there's people that need to hear it. This is Steve Noble on The Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever for another program powered by the Truth Network.